I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters, not the mortgage, not the store, not my team and all that bullshit. For those 10 seconds or less, I'm free. On your mark. Get set. Welcome to now playing Fast and Furious Retrospective Series. It's gonna be an all time of the night. Bet you're gonna enjoy this. Hosted by Arnie. Look, man, I don't just think outside the box. I tear it up. It's my thing. Stuart. You're the last person in the world I expected to show up. And Jacob. Like it or not, you and your friends are a part of it now. I don't have friends. I got family. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers, harsh language, and incentive to drive beyond the posted speed limit. I'm going to enjoy what happens next. Listener discretion is advised. Only live once. Let's do it. Talking over race. Today we're discussing Furious 7, starring Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Michelle Rodriguez, Tyrese Gibson, Chris Ludacris Bridges, Kurt Russell, Jason Statham, Nathalie Emmanuel, Elsa Pataki, Lucas Black, directed by James Wan. I'm Arnie. I don't have a podcast. I have family. Stewart in L.A. And this is the double alpha, Jacob. That's funny. I thought you were the candy ass. <laughs> Telling you, I had three opening lines and they're all Tyrese Gibson. So I know where this is going. <laughs> Can I have a Belgian ale? Can I crack a 40 open here? I, 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 need, I haven't been furious for seven films, but you're pretty furious last week. Yeah. After that bullshit last week, having to plunk down $20 for a matinee. But I did see this movie just a few hours ago, the earliest showing on Friday, a uh, brand new L.A. theater that is, it's not IMAX, but it's large screen format, XD. And uh, yeah, it was uh, well attended by all different types. And I actually saw this Thursday night. Thank goodness. No more of the, these midnight releases. I got to go to a 7 p.m. showing, but it was still almost sold out. I got there about a half hour early. I had to go stand in a line wow. before they let us in. And I think I was the oldest one there. A lot of teenagers. It's spring break here, but man, a young crowd. And I guess that's who's going to these films. Everyone's going to this film, right? It's going to have a huge weekend, $140 million. It's going to win an Oscar, you know. I do know that. <laughs> That's what Vin Diesel said anyway. And I saw this opening night, Thursday night, 7 o'clock. Now, I've been to Fast and Furious films opening weekend. I usually go and the parking lot looks like the extras from a Fast and Furious film. <laughs> usually it's tricked out. A lot of booty shorts? Booty shorts. There were some in the audience. Thank you, audience members, by the way. But usually there's nice cars and running lights and all sorts of things. But... No, this was a different Fast and Furious crowd for me. This one was 20-somethings, 30-somethings, and 40-somethings. I fit right in. A moderately full audience. I got the last good seats in the house. 
I mean, I guess this franchise is what, like 15 years old now? So I guess 30-something is the right age for people who've grown up with it. I know my younger brother is really into this, and he's right around that 32, 33 years old. So he's grown up with these films. Lots of factors. I mean, it's a holiday weekend. You're with your family. Of course you're going to go to the movie. This or home? Even I would go see this over home. (laughs) You and your anti-animation bias. (laughs) Is that animation? I thought someone threw up on the screen. (laughs) But come on, the elephant in the room here, right? I mean, the morbid curiosity, even if you've never seen a Fast and Furious film before, I bet you some people are going to walk in cold having seen none of them. It's the fascination of watching how a Hollywood movie under the magnifying glass of everyone in the universe seeing how they deal with losing a major cast member while in production. Paul Walker died. I don't know how far they were into filming. He's in a lot of this movie, so I have to believe they were at least close to being done. Yeah, I was actually waiting for him to get sent off like they did last week to go investigate something that didn't matter. But no, I was surprised he's in this throughout. And I read they've done some digital tricks and I noticed there was a lot of times he was in the shadows. So that was a double, I'm guessing. But I was surprised how much he's in this film. We will talk about it going through. I, as I usually do, did see this film twice. And the second time was almost a forensic study. Just just to look at Paul Walker. Yeah. (laughs) And I know that they did some scenes with body doubles. They made sure to have the family's approval. The body doubles were often his two brothers. Yeah, I did read about the end scene. They used his brother. I could tell that was not him. That didn't do anything to really hide it there either. Mm -hmm. There's a couple others where from the back, the hair is totally different. Yes. And they did do some digital face replacement in certain scenes. Honestly, though, I'll tell you, the last time I saw something like this happen was in The Sopranos, a series I loved when the character of the mother died and they did CGI head replacement and it looked like Beetlejuice. Like the head kept growing and shrinking and (laughs) nothing worked and the dialogue was completely nonsensical because they were using what lines they had. I will tell you, mostly flawless here. I have my theories. I have done deep internet searches. The original shooting script is not out there. So it'll be a year or so before the full truth comes out. But as we go through this plot, as we go through this movie, I'm going to point out where I can see where the seams are. But kudos to them for being able to pull together a coherent movie with a passed away actor, and a movie that, I'm just going to say this up front, is a good tribute to him. They did everything they could, and it is the elephant in the room. It's the elephant in the room for them. I was reading an interview with Tyrese, and he's like, we don't even want to do press for this film as actors, because it feels like we're capitalizing on his death. They are doing everything in the world to make this truthfully respectful to Paul Walker. And for a franchise where we started off kind of laughing about how... It's just morbidly ironic that he died this way. Over the course of this retrospective, I've come to appreciate his part in this franchise, if not any other work of his. And yeah, I think it's a fitting end for that character and a nice way for the actor to go out. Yeah, they had to ground it. I mean, I can't imagine if they had to stick a goodbye onto last week's movie, like after the tank and all of that. No, I think it influences everything. Honestly, I feel like the whole movie, the plots, the focus, there's less laughter in this one. And I attribute that to the fact that they're dealing with saying goodbye to a lot of things. But really, in order to talk about that, we got to talk about the plot. Arnie? 
Well, in the time since Furious 6, Vin Diesel's character Dominic Toretto has been trying to resume his life with amnesiac girlfriend Letty, played by Michelle Rodriguez, and being an uncle to his nephew Jack. Jack's parents, of course, are Brian O'Connor, played for the final time by Paul Walker, and his wife Mia, again played by Jordana Brewster. Brian is not adjusting well to domestic life, and Mia is afraid to tell him that she is again pregnant, this time with a girl. But that domestic tranquility is interrupted by Deckard Shaw, played by Jason Statham, who wants revenge for his brother Owen Shaw, the baddie from Part 6 who Dom's crew blew up in an airplane. In the credits of Furious 6, we saw it was Deckard who killed Han in Tokyo. Now he's on the hunt for the rest of the London crew. He starts with DSS agent Luke Hobbs, again played, briefly, by Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and his partner Elena, played, also briefly, by Elsa Pataki. In the fight, Shaw throws a grenade, and to save Elena, Hobbs jumps through a window, putting him in the ICU. Unable to join the fight himself, Hobbs puts Dom in touch with Mr. Nobody, a secret agent played by Kurt Russell. This man can help Don hunt down Shaw and improve his taste in beers, but first he wants the help of Dom's team. We're going to get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But there's a hacker who created the cell phone spying device from the Dark Knight. Remember that? (laughs) I do now. I didn't put that together, but yes, it makes sense. (laughs) They did it in the Avengers, too. Well, in this movie, it's called God's Eye, and a hacker named Ramsey, played by Nathalie Emanuel, has been kidnapped and Mr. Nobody's agents are prevented from helping. So they want to send in Dom and his crew, which includes Letty, Brian, and then returning characters Techie Tej Parker, played by Ludacris, and comedic Roman Pierce, played by Tyrese Gibson. A huge car chase frees the hacker from her kidnapper, Jakande, played by Guardians of the Galaxy baddie Dejman Hansu. Then the crew has to go to Abu Dhabi to retrieve the computer chip that can make the God's Eye work. Another attack by Shaw leads to some showcase stunts, but the chip is retrieved. But finding Shaw is no longer enough as he's teamed up with Yakande's men to kill Dom. So Dom's crew returns to their home turf of Los Angeles for the final battle. Dom and Shaw fight atop a parking garage, while Yakande and his men use a drone ship to fire missiles at cars. Ramsey jumps from moving car to moving car to avoid death, and then Hobbs leaves his hospital room to go crash an ambulance into the drone, and then uses the drone's Gatlin gun to take out the helicopter with Yakande and his men. Finally, the crew is victorious, and Shaw is locked up. Letty gets her memory back, revealing that, surprise, she and Dom were married. (laughs) He didn't seem the monogamous type with all those skanks. Well, he wasn't, but uh, we'll talk about that when we get there, because I remember a woman in between. Yes. Talk about days of our lives. <laughs> mm. And Brian returns home safely to retire from the life of guns and cars and just live on a beach and raise his two kids. Dom and Brian drive off together, then take separate roads and say goodbye as the screen reads for Paul and credits roll. A lot happens. I kind of thought I knew what this movie was going to be coming in, right? A straight revenge plot. This is how it was left in Furious 6. Jason Statham's here. He's going to kick ass. I did not expect super secret spy agencies to be hiring Dom like he's triple X again to go on spy missions. They go on a long detour to get to this revenge story. 
I'm frankly glad because I don't feel like the revenge story would have carried an entire film. Jason Statham. I mean, he starts out looking out the window saying, if you want a glimpse of the future, look behind you or something like that. I'm like, yeah. And when I do, I just see a bunch of shitty action movies. That's, <laughs> that's what I associate him with. Like maybe early on, you could credit him with some of those Guy Ritchie Italian job. He seemed like he'd have a, a career as a leading man, but I tell you, like every month he's releasing some, crap you don't even want to watch now but whenever i see him i love him i mean i didn't see the transporter films until after i saw crank crank i think was the first film i saw him and at least the first one where i paid attention to him i did see italian job i did see some of the guy Ritchie stuff but it was crank that made me pay attention and then go back and see the transporter films and he's been in expendables i mean he's in shit but he's good I think it's the Expendables that have brought him down. He wasn't old enough to be a has-been action star like the rest of that cast. I feel like ever since then, yeah, you're right, Stuart. He did that Parker film, Safe. Just all these generic action films. The dude is a badass. You watch those Guy Ritchie films. You watch Crank. Like, Crank, I agree with you, Arnie. That that is where he came out on his own, and he's just balls to the wall insane. I mean, I love this opening scene with him. This whole hospital, yeah, he's doing this weird monologue about looking to the past or whatever but then he turns to these two cowering doctors and they're like you better make sure my brother stays alive and you're like okay that's kind of weird he's threatening him and then as he walks out of this hospital you realize he just like decimated this entire lockdown hospital and all the soldiers and police there it's comic booky it feels like they want to stick with that tone of six like it's so over the top and i'm funny i'm laughing i got a smile on my face with this is the jason statham that i like yeah can I just ask, though, how the hell did Owen Shaw survive a plane explosion and just look a little bit like Deadpool in a hospital bed with a very strong pulse? Because no one dies in the series, because everyone can have the opportunity to come back in a cameo and do in this movie. I feel like this movie, you know, it's about saying goodbye. It's about patting themselves on the back for all the hard work they've done over seven films. And anyone that has been a part of this franchise, they've brought back in some small way. Giselle appears in a photograph. I mean, Han, we get, I I don't know if they brought him back to do a shot of him, like, gasping in the car. But they just make sure that we see everybody that we've seen before. And I I feel like that's why we have this, yeah. They, They hired Luke Evans to come back and lay in a bed for one shot. But this revenge plot is almost meaningless. I mean, the truth of the matter is he's a black ops guy that's on the run and he would be causing trouble anyway. I guess he wants to get vengeance on this crew and that's why he targets Han. That teaser at the end of six, that comes like after the first 10, 15 minutes of this film. Yeah, Jacob, it's not going to come in for quite a while because we have a whole lot of interpersonal drama to start with, with the L.A.-based crew, and not Ludacris or Tyrese. They don't get to come in until pretty late into it. But Dom and Letty trying to rekindle, not their relationship, I think they're together, but rekindle her memory and rekindle ours by going back to Race Wars. And hey, that's Hector! Haven't seen Hector since part one. I was trying to remember his name. I'm like, oh, I know that was that Mexican from the first one. He was the red herring dude. Yes. It took seven films, but I finally got closure. They finally (laughs) competed in race wars in one. I was so happy. I can't tell you how happy I was that they went back and did what they should have done in the first movie. 
I was disoriented because, yeah, she does her race. We get our one street race here, and they're all around her. Yeah, ghost lady. Yeah. Like, I'm like, why do they know that she's forgot? Oh, wait. It, it took me a while to remember. Oh, they used to go there all the time and actually race because we were never showing that in the first one. Iggy Azalea wasn't back there in 2001. She was too fancy <laughs> for it. No, she was like in a cradle. <laughs> I liked the scene. I like going back to race wars. I like that James Wan apparently likes sexy women's asses. I'm, there were so many asses. I, I think that's a requirement for a Fast and Furious film. During the race war scene, there was more asses, I think, than the past three films combined. That's true. It, it reminded me when we were back in Brazil, where you had a reason to show a lot of ass here. This is out in the desert of California, so I guess it's hot. <laughs> I guess you could leave your pants off. I was a little disappointed in the race. Letty races the car. She doesn't even win. She just follows Dom's instructions. She doesn't win so much as forces the other guy to lose. And James Wan, well, this is better than his car chase in Saw. <laughs> Not saying much, but yeah, it seems to undermine the toughness of Letty. It's like, just take your man's advice. We know that you say you remember how to drive and how to race, but no, just listen to the tough man and follow his instruction instead of doing your own thing. It also was over so quick. It felt like... It felt like an actual street race? It felt like they were living this movie quarter mile at a time. Blink, the only street race in the movie is over. But you don't feel that about the movie itself. This is the longest Fast and the Furious by quite a bit. I think it's like 20 extra minutes than any other Fast and Furious we've gotten before. And it's all this setup at the beginning. Then we go to Brian and Mia. And yeah, we get the fake out. He's got his foot on the gas pedal. He's, he's going to zoom off. No, he's in a minivan a, taking his kid to preschool, apparently, for the first time ever because he doesn't know how to open the door. Like, he's never set foot in this van. Again, <laughs> I get the joke. I get what you're going for. It just seems weird that he's never done this. This is the, the first time he's ever been in a minivan. And who is the hottie helping him open the door? I thought there was going to be a cheating subplot or something with her. <laughs> is she the teacher? Because if so, I'm hot for teacher. <laughs> Look, I've dropped kids off at daycare. They don't come out and take them from your car. You got to walk them in. You got to sign them in. There's a lot of security issues. You can't just drop <laughs> them off the curb and take off. Yeah, but the point is, obviously, guys, that, you know, they're setting up what Brian's character arc would be in this film. He had a kid last time. He would worry about how it influenced him. Now they're going to deal with that. And, yeah, in some ways, they know that this is Paul Walker's last film makes it easy for them to finally say, yes, he's going to commit to this family. We are going to watch a character arc in which he is going to learn to put his son Jack above bullets because he loves <laughs> bullets more than his family. I felt like they did this to take the focus away from the fact that he died in a car accident. It's like, I don't miss the cars. I don't miss the girls. It's the bullets. I did wonder if that was a line they added to de-emphasize how he actually died in a, in a fast car. I'm going to tell you, it was a line they added. It was a plot they added because okay. I don't know this for a fact, but watch the movie. Everything about this subplot of Brian missing the bullets is people talking about Brian. You get the scene with Mia and Dom, and Mia goes, well, I talked to him, and he said it's not the cars. He doesn't say this. Mia says all of this. And later in the movie, Dom is like talking to him, you missed the bullets. And he goes, yeah. The, all Brian's com all comment is, yeah. Mm, I didn't catch that. This is entirely a subplot. There must have been something about him in a minivan, because I think that's really him. There's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of close-ups. 
Maybe that's him. Effects are really good. But I think there was going to be a subplot about fatherhood and finding his place. But all this about missing the bullets, all this about after this, no more bullets, no more bad guys. This is all people talking to Brian or talking about Brian. Brian never talks about this, which in any other movie would be just really poor storytelling. And this one is making the best of a bad situation. Oh, I thought there was so much poor storytelling in this movie, I didn't catch that fact. My guess is they actually reinforce that his family wants him to do this, because a key moment happens when he's putting the kid in the minivan, and the kid throws his toy car, and he says, cars don't fly. Well, we know that that's going to happen twice in this movie, and I bet at some point he was going to be the one to come up with those plans, that his son was going to influence. So rather than the family holding him back, I think he's taking cues from a kid, quite frankly. I think the script (laughs) sometimes takes cues from a five-year-old as well. But (laughs) I actually liked young Jack in this. He's barely in it, but I thought he was going to be a bigger player in that early scene. And when he throws the car and he's playing with the car, I don't know, there was something funny about him, something uplifting. Maybe it's just because I knew the somber attitude going in, but... Sure. I know that they're not going to kill Brian. I know he's going to end up with his family, so it's important you like them, and we do. Agreed. But of course, there's still more with Dom and Letty here in this first half hour. There's so much stuff before this plot gets going. I just want the plot to go. Yeah, but we have Dom and Letty at Letty's gravesite, or at least her burial place where they put her headstone. Oh, that's right, where he wanted to smash it with a sledgehammer. And that's a scene that they'd filmed beforehand. They refilmed that at actually Paul Walker's final resting place. That's Paul Walker's headstone. Oh, Oh, God. All right. They wanted to do that to pay honor to him. I don't know that it does. Yeah. (laughs) Swinging a sledgehammer at someone's tombstone? Mm, Okay. Uh, yeah. But all of these scenes, first of all, every time Letty and Dom kiss, and it's mercilessly few times in this film. Yeah. I'm remembering the director of part one talking about their chemistry and their heat and how they were hooking up offset together. And I'm looking at this. All I'm thinking about is Don Cheadle's line from Iron Man 2 about two seals fighting over a grape. (laughs) That's what their kissing looks like. And every scene that Vin Diesel wants to look dramatic, I picture an acting coach saying, think of a painful or think of a difficult time in your life. And the facial expression he's thinking of is, I farted really bad. That's his pained expression. It's so bad. It looks like he's passing gas and embarrassed about it. It's like a baby taking a poop in a diaper face. Vin Diesel, I I always feel like he's got the chops to do something great, but man, when he turns to look at his house that he loves blowing up, I'm almost laughing. Like, he doesn't have it. I I don't know anymore if he has the chops to do something great, because that acting in his face is awful. All right, so wait, wait, wait. You guys don't think Dom is very good. I don't think Diesel is very good. I think his acting range begins and ends with, I am Groot. Which I meant what exactly what I said. So if Diesel's not good, you don't think Dom is an asset to this movie? I think Dom is an asset to this movie in action scenes. I think the less dramatic subplots you give him, the better. And this film gives him like two or three dramatic subplots. Yeah, there's so much drama at the beginning of this, and Vin Diesel cannot carry that drama. Yeah, there's a scene with Hobbs and Elena where Hobbs says, way too sentimental right now. And that's after all this Dom Letty stuff. And I'm like, yeah, this whole movie, way too sentimental right now. 
far be it for me to say Vin Diesel is a great actor, but <laughs> I think he's exactly the actor for this kind of soap opera. I mean, we're dealing with a soap opera level. This is the amnesic storyline again. So that he's not giving a great dramatic, I'm moved performance. Who could? This is dumb stuff. It's melodrama. It's not good drama. So I'm not going to judge a dramatic performance when it's this silly. I think that he and Letty are getting through it. I think they're doing better than they have in other movies. I think that they've done better with drama when it's honestly guy versus guy. Vin Diesel is good at simmering anger drama. Like when he finds out Brian got Letty killed in part four. That kind of rage is good. I even sort of went with him on the I mauled the guy who killed my dad speech in part one, though we all agreed that was the weakest part. But here, when he's trying to be truly dramatic, when he's trying to talk to his sister about how Brian's best choice was her, and when he's trying to talk to Letty about patience and everything, man, this is truthfully the painful stuff. And the movie just keeps going back to it. In editing, in filming, James Wan just can't tell what's working and what's not. And I guess I could have seen that from Saw, too. He thought he was getting a good performance out of Danny Glover in that. Jeez, I wow, that brings back memories. Yeah, (laughs) but I'm surprised, guys. You're taking it for task because you want this to work as drama. Let me understand. You would like to be moved by these scenes. I mean, isn't this camp? No, I would like to get to the action. And if you're going to put drama in here, then yes, I want good drama. Isn't the fact that it's so dumb and funny part of the appeal? I thought that was the point. No, no, it's the over the top action. It's against all my will. Tyrese Gibson actually ends up becoming funny for reals. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that's what I want. That's what works. It's not the soap opera stuff. It's not the family life. I get that. They have to have an exit strategy for Paul Walker here. And so they're driving home this domestic life, this family stuff. It's too much, especially at the beginning of this film. I enjoyed so much of Jason Statham walking out of the hospital, fighting The Rock. And now this film just stops for a good 10, 15 minutes to go through all this drama. It's telling that one of Dom's big lines in this movie is, this time, it's not about being fast. Yeah, because they're going to take it slow. <laughs> they're taking it as slow as like a first date on a second marriage. I mean, Jesus Christ, I wish they'd be fast and furious. Nobody's fast and nobody's furious in these opening scenes. But Stuart, I know this isn't your franchise. So maybe that's why you think the only reason people enjoy it is because it's so bad it's good. But no, this has not been an MST3K franchise for the fans like me. This hasn't been terms of endearment level drama, but when it worked, it actually worked. It's never been, oh, I'm laughing at how bad the drama is, and that's why I love it. I don't feel like this histrionics is any better or worse than what we've gotten before, but I'll agree with you. It's a lot of it, and it's a lot of it because they are wanting to set a tone that's more somber. You guys loved the film last week because it was so funny, funny, funny. They don't want to do that this film. I don't recall loving the film last week for anything, but okay. I did, though. (laughs) You loved the funny. You guys were both on record saying it was the crew at their funniest. So they're not at their funniest here. We can all agree this is a somber tone, I think, done intentionally. Yeah, I completely agree that we have to show Vin Diesel's character, Vin Diesel himself, really, as having more of a heart in this one because we're going to end with a big Vin Diesel emotional monologue. So we've got to set that tone early. Fortunately, these first half hour is punctuated 
with some Jason Statham scenes, anytime we see Brian or Dom, yeah, you're going to get some monologuing, but wherever Jason Statham goes, there's some ass kicking at least. He goes to the DSS. Again, I love that entrance. We get the rock. He's talking to Elena, who I didn't recognize at first. Like, she looks different here. It's all the haircut. I didn't recognize her either. I'm like, oh, he has another new female partner. Yes. And what is the whole subplot about him writing her a letter of recommendation that went nowhere? Uh, well, you know, I don't know that it has to mean anything other than they're keeping her around. I thought she was headed back to Rio to honor her dead husband. Now I realize she joneses for bald, muscly types and that there's obviously some flirtation here. She'll probably end up being The Rock's girlfriend in the next movie. Rock has a kid. I I didn't know he had a kid. I, but I no mom. No baby mama. Okay. I didn't see no ring. <laughs> <laughs> Were you looking? I did. I was like, where are they taking this? I it, Clearly, they, ha- they left themselves that avenue. If they want to go down that road they can definitely bring her back as the girlfriend that's funny because i just thought that actress wanted no part of this franchise because in the last movie in this one she's in it for like five minutes combined you think that's her choice <laughs> i think that they needed to get rid of her because she was in the way of the letty dom soap opera yeah there, there's gonna be some awkwardness there but i love the rock walks back after giving this letter recommendation and there's shaw jason statham just sitting there on his computer again i love the rock when he's doing all his tough guy talk that's mostly why you want to have the rock in a film but the way jason statham just blows him off and he's like just a second just a second as he's downloading getting all this information goddamn it guys yes yeah, they fixed The Rock in this one. I thought he was horribly misused the last movie. He looked weak. And here, they use him sparingly, a little bit in the beginning, a little bit at the end, but that's really all the flavoring you need. He has a really good fight scene here. I disagree completely. I need more Rock. This movie needs more Rock. The scenes that The Rock was in made me realize what a lot of this movie was missing, and that's rockness. <laughs> I mean, I saw him on SNL. First of all, a hilarious parody of the Fast and Furious franchise with Bambi, the live action film. I mean, that was just spot on. Made me realize exactly how often Tyrese really does say, woo! <laughs> but he also talked about how he's been referred to as franchise Viagra. And yeah, he really did help this franchise. The reason he wasn't in it, this wasn't a creative choice. This was a The Rock had to film Hercules. Oh, bad choice. Universal decided they wanted this film out one year after the other one. We thought after Fast 6, we were going to be doing this one year later, and Paul Walker's death put the brakes on, but this is all the time they could get The Rock for. Sure. Can we at least agree this is a good scene for him here in the beginning, and he makes a strong impression, which whether you want him to make that impression for every scene that follows, it gets this started in the right way. Yeah, I don't know how The Rock still has a job with the DSS after the last film. Like, there were military men who saw him help a bad guy get away, like, free himself. But maybe because he helped crash that plane, they gave him his job back. But I like this fight. I'm paying attention because I, I do like the martial art films. I'm paying attention to the choreography here, the, the camera work. It, what's weird to me is they'll do these, like, round spinning shots where they'll circle around the two, but then they do these weird edits right when they go in for each other. Usually you have quick edits like that because they're just 
just not up to doing these fights. It's just, it would have been so much better if you could have c- continued that round shot and have it go into the action instead of cutting away at the last second to go into the action. A little complaint for those who like fighting and choreography. Uh, I like that they try to come up with some unique shots. The rock at one time falls backwards over a couch and the camera twists upside down with them. There's some neat stuff there. Just wish some of those continuous shots were a little bit longer. I agree. All the fighting in this suffered from like that Ridley Scott jerky motion bit, which you use when you have people who can't really fight. And here we know we have two people who can fight and it's just not coming through the way it's filmed. I like the camera's movement. I don't know if this camera ever stays still. This camera is moving almost every frame of this film. Dramatic shots, it's doing 360s. Action shots, it's panning. I mean, there's constant motion and some of it is really cool to look at, but yet anytime there's a fight, I'm like, I wish I could just see it better. Well, James Wan hasn't been tested in the action genre. I mean, Insidious had a little bit of fight, Conjuring. I mean, there was some craziness. There was some action of a supernatural kind. But hand-to-hand combat, I don't think he's really been tested with that yet. He's got one trick, and I think it's a pretty good one, and it's what you cited, is that he likes to move the camera with the person as they're being flipped or turned or whatever. So I feel like we're always upside down with them. When they're turning, we're turning. It's disorienting. It's kinetic. It holds my interest enough. You know, it makes going through a glass table feel fresh when I feel like I've seen that a million times. And I do like this fight because I've seen the trailers for this film. I know what's going to happen to The Rock. So I'm like, did they really pay The Rock to come and get his ass handed to him by Jason Statham? But really, The Rock wins the fight. I mean, he does his finishing move. That was a trademark WWE move The Rock uses on Jason Statham to put him through that glass table. Yes. And I'm like, wow, he did hold his own and really kick Jason Statham's ass. It's being heroic, saving Elena that gets The Rock fucked up, not that he is not toe-to-toe with Hobbs. And can I just say they should have just killed Elena? Somebody should have died in this movie. Well, Han died in the <laughs> last movie. He died in part three. Somebody should have died in this movie. Don't say it, Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> I know you didn't mean what you just said, but... On screen, on screen. I know what you meant. One of the characters, not one of the actors. Yeah, I, yeah, just be careful because, you know, someone did. I'm shocked that Elena and The Rock did live. Remember, we're in a universe where landing on cars breaks your fall. Well, that's what I'm going to say. If it wasn't for Six, Six was a primer. Six was so absurd. I enjoyed that. If I had not seen that film, I don't know how much of this film I would have bought. That got me to go with a lot of stuff in this film. There's still questions I have. Fine. He gets blown out a window with Elena. There's an explosion. They drop multiple stories, land on a car, and he's got like a broken arm and a broken leg. Okay, I'll go with it because I laughed when Vin jumped across a freeway and caught Letty and crashed into a car last week. There's only one thing in this whole movie as stupid as that, and I will cite it. But yeah, that does set the bar pretty high for suspension of disbelief. Right. We're within this universe, and I've come to accept it. To me, I mean, I guess it's a statement for how crazy I felt it was last week that this feels more restrained. (laughs) Yes, that is crazy. In a movie where cars go skydiving, it feels a little less jump the shark this time. And I also think it's important to hurt the rock. The fact is, hurting the rock makes Statham look tougher. Yes. And I don't feel like he's going to get 
a lot of opportunities to look tough in this. I'll just go ahead and say it. I think Jason Statham shouldn't be in this movie. I think he's the least interesting thing in this movie. It's not his fault, but I agree. I mean, most of the time, he is standing behind a gun or sitting behind a steering wheel and literally growling. Yeah, he's showing up at the, at the last minute and not getting the kill shot. I think this guy is a real pill. I think he's always scowling. I just don't think he's any fun at all. Oh, that's the fun of it, is that he's never having any fun, no matter what's going on. What's confusing to me, and I, I know we shouldn't ask a lot of whys. I'm only going to ask the whys that I thought of while I was watching this film. Not all the ones I came up with after reflecting on it. <laughs> but he's in L.A. We know Hobbs is in L.A. He's going to be in an L.A. hospital. He's in L.A. We see a flash of Han on the screen. So he was in L.A. Instead of going after Dom, the one he really wants, he flies to Japan to get Han? There's three of them there in a house. Like, the address is well known. Yes. (laughs) But, yes, you just got to go with the fact that he wants to go to Tokyo first. Well, he's going to do it in a big sweep. He thinks he can do four at a time. I think he also wants to make that statement, you know. And maybe he had other business in Tokyo. Who knows? He probably shot another low-budget, shitty action film (laughs) while he was there. Well, he also took the time from Japan to mail a huge box. I mean, this wasn't just a small box. This thing looked like a moving box from Japan to Dom's house back in L.A. So he paid those international shipping rates for a massive explosive. I'm glad that that didn't have a problem getting through customs. And they're all at the house. Dom, Brian and Mia and Jack, they're getting ready to go to daycare And there's that package. They're like, oh, Han must have sent us something from Japan. And, of course, that's where you find out that Han has died. And that explosion goes off, blows up the house. And look. Yeah, that is one hell of an explosion. For a bomb that was outside the house, it was on the front porch, the house explodes from the inside. When the thing is done, the middle of the house is rubble. That thing must have been made of balsa wood to blow up the way it did. But this is where Statham reveals himself to Dom and Brian and Mia. And when Dom finds out Hobbs is in the hospital and has to go visit him in ICU, and Stuart, you already mentioned Hobbs' daughter. She's great here, though. I like her sass, but she's like, my daddy told me he kicked your ass, and he really did in part five. Dom may remember it differently, but I thought that was pretty clever. I also like that The Rock was watching The Incredible Hulk, the old 70s show with Bill Bixby. I don't know why. They called it crappy. I was wondering if that was going to affect your recommend because they talk bad about Bill Bixby. I want to know who is putting all of these Avengers references into these Fast and Furious movies. Three last time Hulk here, but yeah, it's everywhere. Someone really likes the Hulk. Last time they were bringing up Hulk, Thor, and Captain America. And now, yeah, they have Hulk. And this is where we get some really cheesy lines. Like, Hobbs says, officially, I have to tell you to stay put. But now I give you the brother-to-brother answer. I never got that they were that close, but okay. And Hobbs tells Dom to kill Statham. Dom's going to go to Japan now, and we're going to get Sean from Tokyo Drift. I I was wondering if he'd come in. I thought he was going to be a major player. I thought maybe they'd bring him in to replace Paul in future installments. Oh, they might. He's signed to a three-picture deal, I hear. Okay. And they need a dumb blonde, right? And Stuart liked him. I liked him more than Paul Walker in those early films. I thought he he did it better. He's not blonde, and he's losing his hair, and you can tell in the... (laughs) cuts that goes 10 years that race was a hard race Stuart. they just that race took it all out of him is there a reason they need to bring han's body back to the states like he is japanese he's from there i thought no he's from la 
Oh, okay, he was from L.A. Yeah, I did think it was weird, and I, you know, they kept saying no more funerals. That oh, that was weird that they kept saying no more funerals for this crew, no more funerals. And they said it to Brian, and Brian's response is only one more. And I'm thinking, everybody's thinking, yeah, yours. I wonder if that was in before, and they just couldn't get around it or what, but it it was uncomfortable. I guess I'm not viewing it from that prism. Yeah, I know he died, and yeah, they're going to sum it up, but I don't feel like every time I see Paul Walker walk on screen, there's a Grim Reaper standing behind him (laughs) driving a Ferrari. No, it was a Porsche. No, but when they're at the funeral, and they're like, we're not going to have any more of these... It seems a little awkward to me, and it's partly this film's fault. They're going to call out the whole Paul Walker thing by the end of it. We'll get there when we get there, but this film wants to remind us that, yes, Paul Walker actually did die. Yeah, I didn't see a Grim Reaper behind him in all the scenes, and in fact, I was happily surprised, especially during the action scenes, I'm not thinking about it. He's driving a car fast, and I'm not thinking about a crash. But when you have Tyrese Gibson saying to him, no more funerals, and he says only one more, how do you not think of it? I get you. It was an awkward moment, but I think it works within the context of the movie. And he means it quite literally, too. The, the guy is there at the graveyard, like, tailing them all. I thought for sure he was going to actually, like, attack the funeral. But Yeah, I thought he'd pull out a bazooka or something. Dom has a cool new red car suddenly, and uh, they chase him into the underground of downtown L.A., which I didn't even know existed, that there were these tunnels under Staples. Yeah, they go by the Staples Center. I've been by there a lot. I don't remember any underground sections like that. I'm sure that they're not there, but it doesn't matter. They want to have this uh, game of chicken which uh, they're trying to make Jason Statham seem like a cheat, right? Because he reinforces his car so that it doesn't get as damaged. He doesn't have to use the airbag. Yeah, they equate it to boxing gloves. How many people intentionally (laughs) ram their cars head to head and one of them cheats by having a reinforced frame? That's just smart, I think. That's at the second stage at Race Wars. Yeah, I guess he's cheating too because he's bringing a gun out when, you know, Dom has a sledgehammer or something that he wants to go street what you thought this was going to be a street fight i'm glad that there's someone in this movie that's pointing out dominic's stupidity pulling out a wrench you know literally bringing a wrench to a gunfight i was so hoping he jason statham was going to use that line they want to keep this guy as a thug i mean keep in mind even as they've molded this crew into spies and and that plot is just (laughs) about to begin they're still thug spies you know what i mean there's still people that get information by walking in and and beating it out of people they are driving vehicles i i don't feel other than tej they really have skills that go beyond that so it's in dom's character to have the sledgehammer You'd think if he was so tore up over beating up his father's killer with that wrench, he wouldn't have a wrench always at the ready for every fight. But it's his weapon of choice. If there was a Dom action figure, he'd come with a wrench. (laughs) But we're 30 minutes into the film. I paid attention to the time. We are finishing act one, and that's when nobody enters. (laughs) I thought that's what's been going on for the last half hour. Yeah, Kurt (laughs) Russell. I didn't know this until you called it out. Mr. Nobody. He looks old. Ooh, yeah, he does. I hope there's no more escape from wherever films in his future. Yeah, he'll be the president this time. You know, yeah. they'll give him a cameo. But yeah, I obviously time gets us all. I'd rather see him here than in Expendables movies. How about that? I yes. mean, yeah, I agree. 
I like Kurt Russell. I always thought he made a good underrated action star. You know, his movies were never as big as Stallone and Arnold. And I always thought he had more acting chops and presence than those guys. So, you know, that he's here. I, I feel like he just helps the plot along. He doesn't really have a great scene, but he's an, he's more asset than negative. Yeah, and he has a presence here. He he may be old. He may not be able to do much in an action scene, but I enjoy when he's talking. He's having a good time. He's had a couple. What is it? German draft beers. Belgian. I didn't even know monks made beer, but he's enjoyable here. I love Kurt Russell because he feels like someone from the real world who walked into this movie franchise and is like. Fuck it, I'm going to have a beer and tell Dom your file's extremely entertaining. But, all right, the drama's done at the end of Act 1. We're going to get more dramatic scenes, but at least we're going to focus on the action. On a plot that is absolutely... I mean, even Ludacris is looking at it going, (laughs) that's my name. I was so confused when they start. There's all this uh, political mumbo jumbo that I'm not even going to get into, but you're going to have to do this because of that stuff I'm not even going to bother talking about. That's one way to get around these plot holes. But it's not even a plot hole. They won't say what agency he is. So he's not DSS. I thought he was with Hobbs Agency. I'm guessing he's CIA or S.H.I.E.L.D. or something. (laughs) Yeah, I took it as a wing that is never spoken of. He talked about shadows and ghosts. I thought he was either a ghost or a shadow. I got confused as to who was who. He's some kind of spook. He might come back when the X-Files gets back on television or something. He hangs out with a cigarette smoking man. But he doesn't care about Shaw. This is where I think that the script writing makes a mistake. He could give two shits less about Shaw and the fact that he is blowing up houses in Los Angeles All he cares about is some hacker with this God's eye thing, which really is straight out of Batman The Dark Knight, only without the ominousness. They're like, oh, this is a great tool for us to have. It's better than The Dark Knight. Dark Knight only uses cell phones. This uses every camera. It will hack into your camera phone and take pictures. But was this program, The God's Eye, was this a government thing that Ramsey the hacker stole? Was it something that she created? I I got confused there. I don't know if it actually matters. I get why a secret agency would want it. She created it and was giving it or selling it to the government, but they were missing a piece and they'll never have that piece unless they get her. But totally unrelated terrorists having nothing to do with Shaw have kidnapped her. And because of diplomacy, No U.S. agency can do dick about it. And so if you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find him, maybe you can hire Dominic Toretto. I followed all of this plot except the part where Kurt Russell explained why they needed Dom. They spent a lot of time explaining how Kurt Russell needs this God's eye. But why does he need Dom to get the God's eye? I just couldn't get it. It's so weird. There's all these private mercenaries that we in real life use like over in the Mideast when we're rebuilding Halliburton oil lines, you know, they use their own mercenary forces. But this is the best troop to bring in Dom's group here. This is the best force because they could drive cars, apparently. It gets a little more confusing than that. I thought Ramsey was in a secure place, like they knew where he, she, they were. And so that was where they were going to, but it ends up being a military caravan. 
Well, of course, because we want to see cars be driven. Yeah, I mean, you just have to accept this movie at that level. Which I do, because last week taught me to simmer (laughs) down and just go with this cartoonishness. Yeah, they're best when they're behind the wheel, so you make it a moving target that they have to drive after. I guess that's the point. If Ramsey was locked in a castle, they wouldn't be very good. They'd probably, like, drive around the moat and try to ram it or something. (laughs) This is a car movie. All the action will go around car. Well, actually, this movie, it doesn't, but... They try to make all the action go around the cars. And yeah, it is completely insane that, again, this guy who started off stealing DVD players is now (laughs) such a amazing spy. I mean, he's become Triple X again, a franchise he walked away from, and I guess he's going back to, but... He's now being chosen, handpicked by spy agencies to go on these very dangerous global missions. I was honestly surprised that his character, Dominic Toretto, knew where some of these countries were. When they're talking about Abu Dhabi, he's like, let's go to the Middle East. I'm like, you didn't have to look that up. Even worse is they really let Roman come up with the plan, Tyrese Gibson, which it's funny. I'm enjoying the humor, this whole debate where he wants to take leadership. Like these are the moments that really work if they're not driving cars. That's what really worked last week. I like that he's seen the franchise. You asked me to go into a prison, talk my way into a prison. Okay. You asked me to shoot down a plane. I shoot down a plane. You asked me to stop a tank. I wasn't happy about it. (laughs) I mean, I'm laughing when he's just recounting these other films and being like, but this is a totally crazy. He's always the reluctant one. I mean, that was set up in part five. He was the one who almost walked out. They go with his play and he decides, this doesn't make sense to me. They decide that they got to go onto one piece of road that's impossible to drive to for whatever reason. I don't get that. I thought it was impossible to get to the where the hideout, the stash house for Ramsey was. Not understanding that Ramsey was a, in a vehicle and you might as well just wait. <laughs> yeah, if, if they're on the road. Just hang out at the gas station when they got to refill. Yeah. Or just drive behind them and follow them and start a little earlier. Why do you have to parachute out of an airplane? Because it's badass. Yeah, because it's awesome. Like, look, none of this makes sense. I stopped asking why because this is a great action scene. This this is a great chase. It's a great piece that we're going to see right here. I looked this up because I couldn't believe it. Parachuting cars? Yeah, I'm like... Could a car parachute? I have credited Justin Lin for four films about how he didn't do CGI. And here we got freaking parachuting cars. I can't believe it. This is a practical effect. The cars were dropped from 12,000 feet and parachutes opened and they lived. Yeah, it looks real. Anything can look convincing. When I see Jurassic World, it'll look convincing. That doesn't mean (laughs) I think there's dinos roaming the earth. Well, I never think any of these actors are in the car. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it does look like the cars are falling. You're saying they lived. The cars lived. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't think there's any people in it. I'm sure that they had some cars that didn't live. There was one car, the parachute didn't open, and yeah, it was toast. Yeah, but they have the money to blow on that kind of thing, and and they have to keep topping themselves. This is obviously their most outlandish centerpiece. It's the one thing we know going into the movie. They try to set it up in the script as a tease. They're in the dark, waiting in the vehicles. How are they going to get to this road? We already know, because if you've seen any ad for this movie at all, you know that they're going to fall out of a plane. Yeah, 
I wish I didn't see this trailer. I only watched two trailers. The first was the Super Bowl one where we're going to see a car fly through buildings. The second one, it spoiled this. I wish this would have been a surprise because it, it is great when they're sitting in the dark and all of a sudden they start backing out of a plane and dropping down on. Did I hear right? Does Tej say GPS guided parachutes? And that's a real thing, believe it or not. Okay, I, I guess I'll go with it then. My research was they went to the military and said, talk to us about these GPS parachutes. And if you dropped a car at 18,000 feet, the parachute would open on its own at 12,000 feet and land you at the coordinates because it has 12,000 feet to steer you. And they're like, oh, that's way too slow of a landing and the parachutes are way too big. So they rigged up their own thing where you pop the chute at 3,000 feet. But yes, the U.S. Army has GPS parachutes. Do they have like little jets to push it in the right direction? You just, it's the same thing when you're really parachuting. You can kind of steer that thing okay. by tilting. I haven't skydived. Stuart, you have. You can steer a little, right? I was in tandem, so I wasn't doing much other than screaming. <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty much Roman. <laughs> yeah, I do like, again, he is the Joker. He'll get called out later. But yeah, his car doesn't quite land. I don't even know what's, what his role was then. They're like, oh, we'll just find him later. Like, not really important to have all these cars that we need to go up against an armored bus. If they were completely fine leaving him in the trees, why weren't they completely fine leaving him on the plane? <laughs> because they're family and they stick together no matter what. I mean, this has always been a problem. This is a problem in Five, which remains the best of this series. It is that they don't really have individualized roles for each of these people. They are all tagging together even when they don't really have the skill set to be much of a help. But they do get more individualized here. I mean, Tej is driving the, like, Humvee bulletproof thing. Roman and Brian do seem a little redundant in the fast cars. Dom is the muscle. I mean, he decided he doesn't want a fast car. That's where the line, this isn't all about being fast this time comes, is he wants an armored vehicle that can take a beating, so they're getting, dare I say it, like an 80s cartoon, like Jason the Wheeled Warriors, where their vehicles actually are mirrors of their personalities. It's only taken seven films to get here. It seems like <laughs> film writing 101, but they've got here finally. I'm not sure I totally understand. Okay, yeah, Vin Diesel is muscular, so he has a big car. And he's tough, and the, his car can take a beating, whereas Brian is fast and wiry, so he gets a fast car. and Which he leaves. I mean, he kicks out the windshield and leaves it. I mean, uh, Is that on cruise control? I don't understand it, yeah. <laughs> Tej does come up behind and starts pushing it. Okay, I'm fine with cars falling out of airplanes. I'm fine <laughs> with so much in this movie. But a driver getting out of the car with no driver there, I'd be fine if there was if he and Roman were in the same car and Roman was driving and he hops out on the windshield. But Hey, Google already has him on the road here in L.A. There are driverless cars moving around. I don't think Google is out there in the Caucasian mountains keeping him on this road that has no barriers. It's a cool looking stunt, but that was the one thing. And then when, yeah, Tej gets up and rams his car to make it go faster, that is all kinds of just Brian is dead 
Look, I, I'm not questioning a lot of the logic here. We're going to get yeah. what's called armor-piercing bullets. These guns come out of the side of the bus. Armor-piercing bullets, those cars keep going for a while before those armor-piercing bullets do any damage. I'm I'm enjoying the stunt work, the driving. I, I'm enjoying this as an action piece. Yeah. Even though, it no, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, I agree. This is a better set piece than that ridiculousness with the tank, where so much of it was fakery of people like swinging like Tarzan and falling on windshields. This stuff looks real. I really, it really looks like the guy gets out and stands on his own hood and jumps into the back of a bus that's had the back ripped off of it. I feel like there's a tactileness. And again, that's essential for me to buying in. I don't need to believe the situation could be real, but I need to believe the action is real. And I do. I was happy to see the truck harpoons come back out. I always like it when there's some verisimilitude between the series. I thought we were going to see EMP harpoons, too, but no, they're just regular old harpoons. I thought the same thing. I'm like, oh, they're going to stop the truck, but then that wouldn't be a Fast and Furious movie. Again, nobody has ever thought we're under attack pullover in seven films. Well, that's what's so weird with this bus. Brian gets on. He's fighting all the bad guys. There's the main bad guy who... I don't know if you ever saw Ong Bak, which is a martial arts film. I, there might have been two or three sequels, too, as well. But pretty good martial arts film. That's This guy is the star of those films. So real martial artist. He's a hell of a ninja. Yeah, no, a very good martial arts fighter. And at one point, he knocks that guy out. Brian goes and frees Ramsey. I'm like, why is the bus driver still driving? Why isn't he, like, pulled over? Like, I'm like, is he knocked out and this bus is just going down the hill? I, I was wondering, why is everything still moving? Why does Brian never get in the driver's seat? I mean, all kinds of questions. Yeah, just put the brakes on and walk out the back. Yeah. I don't ask why. I haven't asked why in a long time. <laughs> There's no real reward in it, quite honestly. Roll out. We can play games and point out all what's silly. The important thing to stress, I think, is that this is a pretty exciting chase. That this is probably the movie's first really good scene. It's astounding. And this film became an action franchise with Fast Five. But now it's just completely into that diehard kind of mode. And I've got to say, when I saw it in the trailer, I didn't quite like Brian scaling the tipping bus. But when you see it in a movie where the bus is hanging off of a cliff and Brian has to run down and then pull himself up and run off the falling bus, that is truthfully exciting. It looks amazing and it's just got some great action. And yes, I'm using the G word. Yeah, no, I agree. Even when he jumps and Letty does that like little spin move and he grabs onto the spoiler, like, look, that is ridiculous, but I am adrenalized at this point. I'm enjoying it. Some shots are better than others. I'm not going to quibble, but some of it, I mean, it's obvious when they have to use blue screen. And of course you use blue screen. You don't put actors' lives in jeopardy in that way. Some of it did look real when he was dangling too. I mean, I, I it, it comes and goes in the scene, but overall the effect is exactly what you want for this series. They are getting the kinds of action that was a success for them in part five. My biggest problem with this scene isn't actually with the action. It's that in the middle of this completely submission chase that has absolutely nothing to do with Shaw, Shaw shows up on this ungettable mountain. Did he also parachute <laughs> down he really does seem like wily e coyote or something he'll show up he'll try to shoot people gets foiled disappears just to show up the next scene i'm kind of smiling but it wears on me as the film goes on like the first time okay that's funny he's gonna show up and he's gonna chase 
Dom. Dom's got Ramsey with him. and Her whole kidnapping. I mean, Dijman Hansu got her how? What was he going to do? Why, why are they in Azerbaijan? I mean, I... A lot of unrewarding why questions floating around here. And it's in this chase that we get to see Yakanda, the leader of the terrorists, show up for the first time. Dom gets trapped at the edge of a mountain surrounded by enemy cars. Of course, there's no way out. And Yakanda, he's in one of the cars and he gets out. It's Dijman Hansau, and he just has one line where he goes, I am very impressed. I would like to know the name of the man who is causing us so much trouble. I, I just expected Peter Quill to show up. You may call, know me as Star-Lord. <laughs> who? I mean, he had the same beard, same accent. Probably shot it at the same time. We even had Groot in the film. <laughs> it was yeah. done years ago. You know, I'm thinking Dom's got something with this car. He told Tesh to make this American muscle reinforced like uh, one of these military Humvees. And he's got like two tires on the back trunk. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out like what is the secret here? What What's he going to pull out? And ugh, I just I don't like the answer. Like so close. You know, Tyrese, of course, is going to come back. Roman, I'm back, bitches, and helps take out Shaw. I knew that was coming. You didn't see him in the trees, and so obviously he was going to show up at the last minute. Yes. I don't know how he knew where everyone was. Maybe his GPS on his parachute told him. But again, here's an exciting moment. Dom and Ramsey, they're surrounded by these terrorists. They've surrounded them. There's a cliff behind them. He's doing donuts, throwing up smoke because they don't want to shoot unless they hit Ramsey's. The terrorists need Ramsey's to work God's eye for him. So that's the important thing here. So I'm like, what is this secret? Does he got like, you ever seen those remote control cars where they could flip over and keep driving because the tires are so big? Like, I'm like, is that why there's tires on the trunk here? No, he's just got a roll cage and he's just going to roll down a hill. Not very satisfying. And this was it. This was the one moment where my suspension of disbelief just went too far. Out of everything in the movie, this was the one. Because they crash down a mountain, and Dominic tells Ramsey, you better put on your helmet. Dominic doesn't. Is it because he's so thick-skulled it doesn't matter? And he's a superhero now, right? If they can do anything, where's the tension? If he can fall down the side of a mountain in a car that's going end over end, where is the tension that anything can ever hurt him? There is none, and there hasn't been any. That's that's exactly it. You're in it for the thrill of watching the stunts themselves. I can never believe that anyone is ever in danger. It just kind of robs some of the impact. It, it takes me out of it. What really robs attention for me is they all go hang out at a lake. Like, there's terrorists after you, there's Shaw after you, and we're going to hang out at a lake, and Ramsey's going to get to know everyone. And they play it like a shock. They talk about Ramsey and Mr. Nobody calls up Ramsey's file and there's no photo, just a question mark. I think they even refer to Ramsey as a he. And so you pull off the mask and oh, it's a woman. I don't get why it is such a big shock that the hacker is a woman. I don't know. I didn't see that as necessarily a twist. You can see that as a surprise. I mean, when you say hacker, we think Ed Snowden, right? I mean, that's leakers, hackers, people behind computers, Neo, Keanu Reeves. It is still rare for women to be portrayed in the tech world in the same way, having the same capacity. So, yeah, I mean, I was surprised that she's so fit and is, like, so willing to get into a bikini in the Middle East, of all places. Uh, the immodesty of it was a, a bit of a shock, but it is what it is. Of course, 
she's going to be a babe because that gives Tej and Roman something to fight over. They play rock, paper, scissors for her and call dibs. I kind of enjoyed that. It was amusing. So why do they have to go to Abu Dhabi? All right, because the <laughs> hacker isn't enough. She has a chip. Okay. This is convolution upon convolution, okay? I, I don't understand how the chip gets in a car. She had hidden the chip in a speed drive, which I thought was like a thumb drive or a solid state drive or a zip drive. No, a speed drive is a piece of a car. I guess a hacker knew a car piece. So she sent the car piece to her friend in Abu Dhabi, who runs a garage. And so immediately thinks, oh, she wants me to sell it. I'm a fence. I don't know. And so there's a computer chip needed for God's eye inside a speed drive, inside a very high-end car, inside a penthouse, inside a tower in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> All right. Clear enough. <laughs> it's craziness. She created the chip. Couldn't she just create it again? I don't understand what they're fighting over. And it's basically, don't ask. We're going to get you to another crazy scene in a cool location. And you know what? I do want to go to the United Arab Emirates. That that they're picking a place that I want to see is helpful. Go watch Sex in the City too. Mm. Forget about Vegas. This is the real Vegas. If you want to have a high class time, you go to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, and, you know, they're basically trying to give them another heist plot. They're trying to insert a part five moment here where all their skills are about breaking something out. Uh, okay, you know, I've sucked it up before and enjoyed it. Uh, this is okay. Is it stupid? Yeah, it's really stupid. But, you know, <laughs> I can kind of go with once I get past how awful it is that the MacGuffin is in a car in a skyscraper, <laughs> I can enjoy the car driving through three skyscrapers. And I enjoy getting to the car. Again, everyone has their role here. Letty, she's the tough gal. She's going to go in and do something with some wires. She's going to get a cool girl fight. We got Tej and Ramsey, the hackers. Dom and Paul, they're doing stuff with the car. And Roman, he was the mouth. And we get to see him be the mouth. He's the distraction here. He goes and interrupts this party and starts singing happy birthday, and I, I enjoy this. I love that. Shine like only Roman can. Yes. <laughs> you guys have loved Roman for so long, and I never No, have. no, two films, two films. I want that on the record. I only came around to him in six. I came around in five. I just want to give him a prop. I actually finally laughed at one thing he said. It happens right here when he takes the woman out and says, she used all the hairspray against all reason. I laughed. I don't know why that one got me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the line that got you? I have no explanation for it. But he finally broke me down, and I finally laughed out loud at Roman. So congrats. But yeah, Letty gets another MMA woman to beat up on. Um, I knew I when I got home, I looked her I'm like, that's either a wrestler or an MMA fighter. Like, she doesn't even have a Middle Eastern accent. Like, when this main bodyguard talks, she's all dressed up. But you could tell she's a fighter. She's built. And she was in Expendables 3, too, with Statham. I haven't bothered seeing it. But these films, I really liked the girl fight last week, and I like this one here. I mean, Letty gets to take on multiple bodyguards before she gets to the main one, but these fights are just as good as the rock fighting Statham. Pretty close. They also suffer from that same shaky cam, yeah. stuttery filming as The Rock versus Statham. But yeah, there's some good action and just some hard punches being thrown I mean, when the two of them topple over and land on the DJ's table. <laughs> and the thing I liked about that is Letty looked beat 
up after that. I mean, yeah, there were no bruises later, but when she falls on that table, she's bloody, she's shaken. It was a slight bit of reality in this superhero film. Plus, I just absolutely laughed my ass off at the line, you're not that charming, bitch. I think it's the MMA fighter's only line, or one of the very few, but I got a good laugh out of it. And then, once again, Statham walks in. He is, they called him a ghost. He's like a poltergeist. He's going to haunt you wherever you go. He's like a lead weight on this movie. And again, it's like, why did they put him in this movie? They put him in this movie because they told us last time he was the plot. And now he is a hindrance to the plot. What's so weird. Okay, fine. He got thrown over a cliff and his car crashed. This time, why does he stop pursuing everyone? I mean, yeah, we'll see a car fly, but... He could have kept pursuing people and shooting them. He just, he walks in, shoots some stuff, does what he needs to do, and then disappears until the next action scene he's called for. I can do one better. If he is not unrelentingly going to follow them country to country, trying to kill them, you go to the hospital with his brother and you hold him hostage because he left that guy behind. This is stupid. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they needs God's eye to find him. Just try to do a robbery and he'll show up. Yeah, I don't know whether it was Paul Walker rewrites or just the same crappy scripts we've been getting in every movie. I just want to point out, every script has always been bad. It's just been about the techniques applied to make the action fun that makes the difference in quality. The script is smart enough to at least know this point, though, because Dom says... Why don't I just sit back and wait for Shaw to come to me? Because he's doing that anyway. And the answer coming from Kurt Russell is, how's that worked out for you so far? You have one of your members dead, another in the hospital. This is a chance for the hunted to become the hunter. So there is that logic. If you want to call that logic, yes. Uh, There's an excuse given, yes. (laughs) Have a gun instead of a wrench next time he shows up. Problem solved. But they get the chip. They get it out of the car. After- well, they, they they barely get it out of the car. They take the car, and they're really pissed off. I mean, they're like human rights activists for cars. Look at this car. He keeps it in a cage. Unleash the beast. But yeah, I don't know which is the better stunt in this movie, dropping cars out of an airplane or jumping it through those towers. Probably the airplane, but this tower yeah. thing is close. I knew this was coming because I saw the Super Bowl trailer. It seemed ridiculous when I saw it. I'm like, oh, this is how they're one-upping themselves. I hadn't seen Six, though, by then, so I wasn't prepared. I'm prepared now because I've seen Six. But the fact that it jumps through two towers, I wasn't prepared for that. Oh, really? I knew when I saw I when I when saw three side by side, I knew they were going to get to the third one. So the whole brakes don't work thing, sure. I knew that was coming. But come on, these are fake. The reason why this is not as impressive is because we know that they did not drive cars through skyscrapers. That is computer generated. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. I'm smiling because they set it up early on with Jack throwing the car and Brian saying cars don't fly. So I, I appreciate that script writing. Like they combined those two ideas. That's what you do. But yeah, it's just not an impressive stunt. It's a it's an optical illusion. What's funny to me is in the trailer that you talked about, that Super Bowl trailer. They're in this car, which they line drop. It's a bulletproof car. And they go out a window, and I'm like, oh, well, the car would never make that jump. Except Statham hits them with, like, a rocket-propelled grenade. And because it's a bulletproof car, that's like a jetpack, right? So that gets them from building one to building two. And so I actually was able to suspend that disbelief. But how they got from building two to building three, that was just too too much. (laughs) 
But it's exciting. I mean, much of it was spoiled, but damn, I was surprised that they went through two buildings and it looked great. And yeah, where does Statham go? Where does Tej go? Where does Roman go? Why doesn't Statham just kill them while they're still there? And it's a weird kind of action thing is that the car loses the brakes. And so it's all about Brian has to get the chip out of the car's dashboard before they fall off. It's a weird ticking clock, but it worked. They're going to run out of, they already have run out of plausible scenarios involving people that stunt drive cars. I mean, we were having problems all the way back in two with getting to an airport and it being so hectic. Like the fact that all these guys can do is drive really well is just not that useful overall to spy missions. It's just, that's why you have chauffeurs, right? That's why no (laughs) chauffeur is the star of a movie. Fast and Furious 8. They're hired for the next Fast and Furious film to coordinate the stunts. <laughs> it's very recursive, like get shorty. But they got the God's eye. And here's where I think, here's the one real surprise of the movie. Here's where I think, okay, Kurt Russell turns out to be evil. Yes, I was waiting for that. Yeah, it had to be, right? That we were going to find out that he was just as bad as Dijman Hansau. But through rewriting or through the I catering to Kurt's ego, whatever, they never play that card. He honors his word. He's like, okay, thanks for this device. And let's go get Jason Statham. I agree. And then after I saw the film, I looked it up. He signed to a multi-picture deal. So he's not dead. Which is so weird because he just disappears from this film. He becomes a ghost. Yeah, he says he has his own health care and you see a helicopter coming to medevac him out. He's fine. Yeah, not he doesn't show up at the end, it, which, which is just weird. He, yeah, once he leaves this film, he's gone for good. Yeah, well, you know how it is. Soap operas, you come and you go and uh, yeah, they'll use them w- when you least expect it. I don't want a soap opera. Oh, you got it, though. That's all this is. Oh, I know. We'll get there. But yes, here's another villain that's so smart. He knows what the good guys are going to do. He knows they're going to use God's eye to find him. And so now he's teamed up with the terrorists. They're waiting for whatever agency this is, plus Dom and Brian. They're the only two of the group that go to kill Shaw. And I feel like the reason why the only plausible is not the right word, but the only (laughs) reason why Kurt Russell can be understood as going with Dom and his crew is because he also has this right hand man who is like by the book military guy. This guy Shepard and Shepard is by the book. You know, he's he basically would never have dropped cars from a plane to catch the bad guy. So you need people like Dom that think outside the box. You need somebody that's not going to take the device that everybody wants to the actual scene and give it back to Dijon Hansu, because that's what he does. That's so weird. They plug God's eye into like an iPad yep. and take it with them. Why don't they have someone back at control uh, telling them where to go? Yeah, I exactly. Headset. Because this is a covert op. That's why Tej and Roman aren't there too. There's, they snuck out. They did it with an iPad. Well, you leave one of the military guys behind and just radio in where to go like that was weird to me that they have to have god's eye with them yeah you don't take the MacGuffin. you're in more trouble if you take the device that you spent so much money and manpower to get then oh yeah we went and go killed somebody that wouldn't be politically approved of i mean that to me is a smaller crime than risking the recapture of the god's eye which of course is all that happens and yes Jason Statham knew it all along, just sitting there eating a meal, you know, pulling the pin off a grenade with his teeth. 
I, I'm annoyed with him, really, honestly. They don't have anything better to do with him at this point. He had such a great entrance into this film with that opening scene at the hospital, mm-hmm. and they have wasted him. Totally. I agree completely. And, I mean, he's literally sitting there having dinner and letting other people do the action for him. This is not what you get Statham for. Yeah. I'll give him th- this much of a compliment. He's an improvement over Luke Evans. I, I like him better than his younger brother. I don't know if that's saying much. It's saying nothing. It's saying nothing. <laughs> Braga is almost an improvement over Luke Evans. Yeah. But this movie, you know, it, you judge a Bond movie by the strength of its bad guys. And I don't feel like the bad guys here are very good. I feel like Statham's pretty weak. Dijmon's better. You know, he's got manpower. He's got some goon squads and some heavy armor. I like their outfits. But even he's just kind of stereotypical, boring bad guy. I do like with Mr. Nobody, You, it was a hit girl moment to me. Like they get sabotaged. They're all getting shot. And he puts on his sunglasses that have the night vision and starts kicking ass. Like, I'm like, OK, maybe Kurt Russell can still pull off an action scene. He doesn't last long, though. I was making fun of Kurt Russell's age earlier. But I've got to say, I really like him in this movie. He's got charm. Yeah, his delivery belies his physical appearance. And when he puts on those glasses and puts out the guns, I honestly, do you remember when we talked about a funny thing happened on the way to Thor's hammer where Agent Coulson started doing ninja moves? That's what I expected Kurt Russell to do here. That he got shot so quickly was a little disappointing. I wanted to see him do it in wire foo. You wanted to pull out a Kingsman here. Yes, I did. He could have done more. I'll leave it at that. They had Kurt Russell. He still got some charm. They could have done more with him. I wasn't sure that he was alive when they leave him by the side of the road. On one hand, he's winking and saying, oh, I was wearing a flak jacket. On the other hand, he's bleeding pretty badly, apparently. So I don't know what's going on. I'm just wondering why he has like Aquaman style body armor. I've never seen a bulletproof vest like that. How many bulletproof vests have you seen? I've seen a lot of action films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the costume designer went wild. <laughs> I, I was wondering, maybe that's a real thing. I don't know. But it reminded me of Aquaman's armor, which probably isn't a good thing. Who knows? We'll see in a year with Batman v Superman. But now that they find out that Shaw has teamed up with Yakanda, they say, we're at war. We're going to go to the place we know best. They go back to Los Angeles. And I'm not opposed to that. I don't know where they're staying because they have no house now. But it's a nice setting for a major set piece. It turns this into, though, a superhero film or almost a disaster flick. Transformers. Yeah. Hasn't every Transformer climax taken place in a major city? Or even Avengers with the Battle of New York or something like that. That's what I was thinking is they are going to blow up major things in the city. It's a good thing no one actually lives in L.A., which isn't so true now, but that is the stereotype. Yeah. Why would you think they'd want to do anything different than any of these other series? That's obviously what they're going for. That's what they've wanted to turn these guys into is the Justice League. Vin's even going to do a Hulk stomp smash at one point in this climax. Like, I don't have a problem going back to L.A. And here, it's a little piece, I don't know, I guess drama that works. It's over the top. and They're all standing there looking over L.A. and talking about the wars coming to us. That's kind of the tough guy kind of speak that I like to hear in an action film, building up the tension. I just, again, like most of this plot... I don't really understand the plan. Like, they're going to upload a virus to God's Eye so they could take over, but they have to be close enough to God's Eye to do it. It's ridiculous. It, it's a video game thing that they need this much time to do it. They have to be within two miles of it because of reception. What? I What are they even doing with it? If they get it, they're turning it off. They're... I, 
I don't know. They're going to use it to find Shaw, I think. But Shaw's going to show up because that's what he does throughout this film. I've come to hate the phrase, turn off your brain and enjoy it. But if I left my brain on during some of these conversations, it would explode. (laughs) Yeah. You know how like during a lightning storm, you have to unplug your electronics so they don't fry. (laughs) That was my brain when Tej was explaining what has to happen here. I gone twice. Twice. I try to make sense of it. It is as good as the video game briefing before any level. And it's as simple as that. It makes no sense. This is the biggest problem with the Fast and Furious series for me is everything is like a step and a half off. Like, oh, we got to get this guy's handprint so we could get into the safe. How are we going to what cool idea are we going to do to get do that? Oh, he's just going to grab one of our characters ass and we'll take the handprint off her bathing suit. Like, Well, that's funny. And they set up these cool situations and their answers to them are just like not quite satisfying for me. I got to say at this point, you know, I just don't care about the plots. It's not about turning off your brain. It's just about pointing it in a different direction. The plot is just about getting you to the next action scene. But I got to say they're using a cell phone tower. Like that's how they're uploading the virus. Like in this day and age, like what is her carrier? They blow up a tower with a drone and like all of a sudden Brian is going to go find another cell tower and turn it on and plug his phone into it. Yeah. Maybe he's on Wi-Fi. (laughs) Why not just plug your hacking computer into your phone and use that? Because they took the tower out. Yeah, can you hear me now? This is ridiculous. No, no, what's more ridiculous is that there are terrorists in a black helicopter flying around L.A. and no jets are being scrambled. We'll eventually see some jets and we'll be told they're three minutes away and then we'll never hear about them again. But come <laughs> on, they're, why? They should be on the ground controlling a drone, not in a helicopter. Yeah, like a lot of things, there's redundancy a lot. Like if you have this hacker Ramsey, you don't need Tej. And yeah, if you have a cool Predator drone, you don't need a helicopter. It just, they have too many characters they don't know what to do with. And so, yeah, they're passing around the hacker while the drone chases her. Brian is running to get the cell phone hooked up so that she can finish uploading the virus. Hobbs has decided, I don't know how long he's been convalescing. I mean, it must be weeks that he's been in this hospital with a broken arm or whatever. It is hysterical to me that he's just like, well, I mean, I see you. He's not just in a hospital. They said, I see you. And he's just like, yeah, fuck the cast. I'm going. No, no. If The Rock is going to flex to break his cast off, I want to see that movie. Like, that is what you do with The Rock. Maybe that was the Hulk reference as he's flexing to tear the shirt and Rock's flexing to take off his cast. They're giving everyone a moment. You can choose to enjoy it for what it is or you can scream that it makes no sense. And I think both are equally valid as a response. I kind of do both at the same time. Yeah, I'm there with you. None of this makes sense. How the Rock knows what overpass to drive off of to smash the drone. I think you just follow the explosions. Okay, maybe, but it's awesome. Like, and then he goes and rips the chain gun off of it. I don't know if that works, but that's what I want to see The Rock do. Oh, it works for his star power. I mean, we love seeing The Rock do this. He has the best moment in the climax. And he's roadblocky in G.I. Joe, and that is totally Roadblock's Gatlin gun. Yes. That his whole Roadblock's thing is having that big chain gun. I couldn't believe it. So I should compliment this climax less then and go watch G.I. Joe. (laughs) 
It's less creative than you thought. But I do feel like he's the star we've been missing. We've had enough of Dom talking about, you know, beating up on Jason Statham. I like the fact that he's finally going to get his wrench fight, street fight at this parking garage. I don't like it. You think this is going to be a street fight? You're goddamn right it is. Oh my God, that is an eye-rolling line. Vin Diesel, I think you look jacked. I think you fight well. I think you glower with the best of them but you need to work on your delivery of, quote, badass, unquote, lines. Well, here's my problem. They're going to do the chicken thing again, and you would think, okay, he's going to learn from this. Instead of hitting him straight on, he swerves out of the way, let Shaw smash into the side of this parking structure or something like oh, that. No, I guess no. the he did learn. He got Kenny back. We didn't see Kenny the last film, but he's got Kenny the killer car that can rear up on its hind legs. This guy just gets cars like nothing, man. He's got a new car every scene. But in this time, remember, he goes and he gets Kenny and goes, one last ride. Until the next one where I guarantee he's driving Kenny again. But what he learned <laughs> was pull up so that he hits the back of your car and you're fine. Yeah, I actually kind of liked it. I It would have worked as a Jason Statham death, but of course we're not going to kill him. No, that's what's so weird. Like, that's how bad he is here. I want him off the screen. I want him dead. I don't want to see a street fight that goes on way too long. That's cool. You're going to do the wheelie thing. We've seen that in, like, all the films. So, okay, that's a clever way to do the head-on chicken thing is to go up on your back wheels and chomp down on that car. That should be the end of Statham there. That should be it. I don't want a whole fist fight now. This is going on way too long, and it occurred to me that this ending reminded me of Return of the Jedi, because we have this lightsaber fight with wrenches going on, and at the same time, you've got the space fight, which is drones versus cars, and at the same time, you've got a third thing going on, which is the rocket and ambulance. I mean, they are really trying to amp this up on multiple levels and have multiple fronts going on. And this must be the longest street fight in history because they take out the drone, they take out the helicopter, and Dom and Statham are still fighting. And what ends up winning, Dom doesn't win this fight. Yakandi decides to shoot at both of them. Why does he want to kill Dom? I don't even understand that. They want Ramses. That's what they want so they could have the God's eye. Why are they going after Dom all of a sudden? Uh, he he held a grudge at the fact that he took Ramsey away from him, I think. They, they, he had a speech. I don't know that it makes justification, but there was a speech on the side of a cliff. So thus, he's got to kill him now. And that's what takes Statham out. And that's the thing about a street fight. The street always wins. Yeah, and he, he does his Hulk foot stomp to break the parking structure after the integrity has been compromised by the bullets from the helicopter. Oh, that groan-inducing. I'm fine with all that. You don't want to know what's groan-inducing to me? He's taken a car down a mountain. He's taken a car out of an airplane. He's taken a car out of a thousand-story skyscraper. Off this four-story parking garage, I'm going to take the ramps. <laughs> that did seem weird. I'm going to outrun. Half the building is collapsing, and I'm somehow thinking I'm going to be able to get down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is. I wanted to see him drift. Earlier, he was talking with Lucas Black. He's like, who says American muscle can't drift? I want to see him drift down the ramps. But no, and he doesn't make it. And they pull him out of the rubble dead. And Brian starts doing CPR because I guess Dom drowned. 
I'm very confused. Well, if his heart stopped or if he's not breathing. And then Letty pushes Brian away. Don't help him. I'm just going to talk to him. Damn it. If I got to see another film where the power of love saves the day over hard medical science, I'm done with it. I'm done. I'm going to whisper into your ear about our secret marriage. And if you die, I die. I No, use the CPR. That's what actually works. When did... Brian become the medic. I mean, earlier after the Ramsey chase, he's like looking in her eyes. Are your ears ringing? Do you feel dizzy? And he's like, well, if any of those symptoms happen, let me know. I'm like, okay, Dr. Brian. If he's FBI trained, he knows some basic first aid. Yeah, he would know CPR. I don't know that he would know the symptoms of a concussion and what to do if you get a subdural hematoma. But come on, this got claps. Tell me your audience wasn't clapping when Dom comes out of it. I was clapping because the amnesia subplot's over. She remembers everything now, magically. I love it. Good. I got no claps. But when she says, why didn't you tell me we were married? And Dom goes, (laughs) because you can't tell someone they love you. Someone in my audience, a woman went, oh, I wish I had the black, like, glasses, because I was trying to, like, look around to see if people were wiping tears or what this <laughs> teenage audience was doing. I didn't see any tears. I didn't hear any whimpering. But, yeah, Dominican wedding. So, the night that he left her, after they went swimming in the reef and they cut each other on coral and got matching scars, they went to a church and got married, and then he left her? Yeah, it makes even less sense now. And if you take into continuity that horrible Vin Diesel-directed 12-minute film where he keeps running from her town to town and hooking up with skanks, as she calls them. And Elena. I mean, in the next film, he would be with Elena, a different woman, knowing that she was alive and... What? No, he didn't know she was alive. Yeah, but he's not mourning the death of his wife (laughs) then. Like... Yeah. You would think if they were married, he'd be mourning. Well, he he mourned between films. He didn't get with Elena until five. The next film. I mean, there was years there. It's a hard thing for anyone to swallow, even somebody that hasn't had a problem with The Fast and Furious. I think this is a sentimental, I guess you just do it because it solves the, the lingering problem of her stupid amnesia. Like, it's over <laughs> now. We don't ever have to deal with that in any future sequel. Good. Goodbye to that. That's one goodbye we can all be grateful for. (laughs) Yes. But by the same token, how she came out of it, it's that cross. I mean, we saw this cross from the very beginning, but somehow that cross got to Han? (laughs) She gave it to the younger Shaw in six, saying, oh, I don't care anything about him here. Take this. So I assume that somehow got to Deckard Shaw, who then went after Han and threw it at Han. Okay. I don't know. I don't want to follow the history of the crucifix. <laughs> so, okay. the cru- No, I do. So the crucifix was Dom's, gave it to Letty. Letty died with it. Dom wore it like a penance thing, gave it back to Letty when she came back to life. She gave it to Owen Shaw, who then Deckard Shaw took it, threw it at Han. So it got back to Dom, but now it's got a broken thing. But it was their wedding ring. <laughs> Something like that. Because they forgot rings, and so they just tied this necklace around their hands, and then... I mean, he's he's in the church in a wife beater. I don't think that they were very traditional. (laughs) And that's what brought back her memory. And this happened in Abu Dhabi. We saw her have flashes of memory, but we didn't know until this moment this is her remembering all of it. Right. 
So again, is it stupid? Way yes, but it like I said, it solves a problem. I've hated the subplot, and it's gone. I hated it last film more than this film, but yes, I'm glad it's gone too. And you know what, though? I know you guys have been saying you don't like Jason Statham in this film. You've said it too. <laughs> I agreed that he wasn't used to his maximum effect, but... When they're putting him in jail, I'm like, my God, they never kill the bad guys. Owen Shaw's just in a hospital. Deckard Shaw's in a cell. Braga is in a cell. They never kill the bad guys. And then I got thinking, that's really refreshing. Because when we were doing all those superhero films, I was actually really tired of at the end of every superhero film, they kill the bad guy. And not that it just gets rid of the bad guys permanently that they can't come back. It's that it's such an unoriginal way to take care of your problem anymore is to have the bad guy die. And so dare I say this movie that started off rooting for outlaws actually promotes the justice system saying they can go to jail and actually stay locked up and they won't get out on appeal. The only reason I like that Shaw didn't die is it provides some more jokes with the rock. You know, there's all those gun turrets that turn on them as they're walking down that hall. And Hobbs just says, oh, those are actually aimed at me, so I don't kill you. And then there's that whole, like, I'm just going to escape again. He's like, well, after you dig through 32 feet of concrete, you're going to have to deal with me. I That's why I like it. Again, it has nothing to do, unfortunately, with Jason Statham. It's all about The Rock now for me. I don't know. With The Rock's delivery here, I'd like some ham and bread to go with his cheese. But I'm enjoying it, but it's just so over the top. I can't believe you're calling out that criticism now. (laughs) (laughs) He's the best thing about the movie. And uh, yeah, I I enjoy him here and at the beginning. That's about all he's in it for. (laughs) But then we have to end the movie on a epilogue that is completely added to deal with the audience expectation of how do you handle Paul Walker's death and how do you write Brian O'Connor out of the franchise? And they've had that you miss the bullets conversation, one-sided conversations and conversations about him and conversations on a phone where Brian's entire contributions are... Yeah. And the whole pregnancy. I don't think Paul Walker was ever around during the pregnancy I'm having a second child subplot either. I think this was all added. And so now we end on a beach. Well, she's not showing. (laughs) I can tell you that. I mean, she's got no stomach. I don't know how far along she's supposed to be along. Yeah, it's so weird because she's like, I just found out. But I also had an ultrasound and I already know the sex. I I don't think that (laughs) those organs have even developed yet in this stage. (laughs) Your zygote's a girl. Congratulations. By the same token... I found myself moved. They got that song playing, and you got Brian and Mia separate. And poor Jordana Brewster, you haven't had much of a career, and now, for completely reasons not your own, you'll never be heard from again. Yeah, they can't use any of them again, right? I mean, I guess maybe way down the line, Jack can come back as a driver for Fast and Furious 11. You know, he'll be old enough by then. But yeah, her character has to go away. I think they've been reaching for this moment for a while now. It probably needed to happen. Just from a character standpoint, Brian had mattered less and less and less. And in some ways, the fact that there can be no more Paul Walker, it allows them to give closure, finally. You're right. They don't kill characters. They never want it to end. They're forced to here. And it's better because of that finality. 
here's the thing, and maybe this is unpopular. I'm fine with this beach scene, even though I could tell it's not Paul Walker. It, it's pretty obvious that I guess they used his brother as a stand-in. I, I'm fine. Yeah, write him out. You got to write him out. Good thing they didn't kill him. Like that, I don't think that would have been the appropriate way. So you write him out. He's going to be a family man. He's not going to race anymore. The problem for me is, though, is that this goes too long. You get Dom leaving, and then you get Brian pulling up next to him with Oh, this is this looks like a ghost. Like this CGI that they use to frame him through that car does it it looks bad. Well, here's my thing is I was actually sad that Dom left without him because how many of these movies have ended with Brian and Dom racing off together, right? I mean, most of them since 4 have ended that way. And so I was a little sad that it was Dom driving off alone. And so when Brian or his brother pulls up, and says, did you think you were going to leave without saying goodbye? I actually think this is a nice ending, that they drive off like they have, and then they get to the separate roads and go. But that they take this footage of an obviously younger Paul Walker. It looked like that crazy smile he had during the staring scene in part two. Yeah, it looked like part two footage to me. But I'm with Arnie on this one. I I think it's better that they end it with these two. They made so much a deal about them being brothers and this rivalry or frenemy thing that they've had on and off all this time. Yeah, you could have everyone at the beach going, it's going to be different next time. And it's true. This franchise is going to have to change. They're going to have to get new characters, for one thing. But we did want to have one more moment. And I think this was the right one. You know, you could even say it is like a ghost. I mean, I'm not sure if this really happened because what dom is wearing is crazy it's like a tinfoil car he's wearing like a matching suit in it it's 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 really weird and even the voiceover it's all it's in the past tent like he was my brother i get what they're doing i i'm trying to think though storytelling movie in 20 years when someone watches this on netflix or whatever way we're watching movies then and they don't know the whole history and all that maybe we'll have our films integrated with wikipedia and we'll get pop-up videos going on actually some services have that where you can go right to the imdb and see the trivia about (laughs) it as you watch but i just gotta wonder how is this gonna work in that not knowing the context you'll never not know the context because it ends with for paul They've made it so much a part of this movie that it's inexorable. Yeah. The montage that happens afterwards. You're right. If we didn't know if someone had been living in a cave and came out and and went to see this movie, they might think it's an awfully mawkish ending. But this movie has been guilty of sentimentality many times before. I don't think it's so strange that it would take you out. More to the point... We wanted them to do this. You know, you you can't not talk about the death. You can't have just pretend like that's it. I mean... No, I don't, I'm not saying pre- don't pretend. They gave him an exit. Yeah, do so- something during the closing credits. Show moments from the other films. I To me, it's too much. It's... I heard sniffles. I heard a lot of crying. Did they do this in Brick Mansions, which they released after Paul died? But that movie was made before his death. This one, he died in the middle of making, and it's a franchise where they have to explain why he's not coming back in 8. Now, they aren't talking about 8 because of his death, whereas before they were talking 8, 9, 10. There's going to be an 8. This movie's doing great this weekend. And they have to write him out. So even if you did come out of that cave, you'd be like, oh, this character who was really important to the franchise is gone now. And I have to say that I liked the montage. He really looked so young six movies ago. It's 
Astounding. Also, film grain looked really different. I guess I'm <laughs> guessing the first one was shot on film, and this is all digital now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I did have to laugh because there's that scene of, uh, which is from our own end credits here, when they're in Fast Five before the big thing, and Dominic Toretto is like, money comes and goes, all that matters are the people in this room. And it pans over. I'm like, yeah, all that matters is the people in this room, except for poor Leo and Santos, who we just dropped (laughs) on the side of the fucking road and never saw again. Oh, they'll be back. They'll (laughs) always come back. I don't know. I think Leo and Santos, well, I guess if Hector could come back six movies later. Why don't they bring Suki back? I liked her. They need to bring some people back because honestly, not a Paul Walker statement here. I felt the crew was too small this time. I liked the Fast Five crew when you had 11 people going at it, but with The Rock sidelined, with Han dead, Giselle dead, Elena, she wasn't even in a hospital. She just didn't want to be part of it. (laughs) We added Ramses, but she felt redundant because we already have a tech person. She was herself a MacGuffin. She was a plot point. She wasn't part of the family. You don't think she'll stick around for the next film? No, no, no. Jordana Brewster was holed up in the Dominican Republic for reasons unknown. I remember she helped drive cars once, but she was locked away. It was down to five people, and now with Paul Walker out of it, there's four. And really, Tej and Roman were Brian's friends, not Dom's. Dom's family is now pretty gone. He needs a new crew. He needs to have some new people to hang out with. I don't know how he'd meet up with Suki, maybe through Tej, but... Well, you said Lucas Black signed on for more films, so I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him come back. You know, this is an opportunity. I see this as a real gift to be able to bring in lots of new characters. I feel like they've been trapped with characters that didn't really fit the storylines they wanted to tell. Well, let's bring some of Hobbes' friends into this. I think that would actually help. The Rock is the best character in this franchise if he brought in more of his real spy types. Oh, you don't don't mean like Triple H and Steve Austin? Yeah, no, I don't want them to be wrestlers. But I do (laughs) feel like, yeah, we can bring in characters that are more fitting to a spy world now. We don't have to rely on street thugs that stole VCRs. DVD players. It's a good time for the series to go back to its roots, I think. Steal Blu-rays? If I wanted to see Vin Diesel be a spy, I'd watch Triple X again. Yeah, and you will. I'm sure we'll do that franchise one day. But no, they're going to continue in a different direction. And this was the crossroads. They've made that split. That was visualized in the last moments of this movie. It it will be something different. I think Tej literally says that. In case you didn't get that vibe a hundred different times before, whatever's coming next will be different with new people. And there's no roots to go back to. We don't want to go back to part one. We need to build a new team. That's an opportunity. That's not a hindrance. Well, only the producers know what's in store for Fast 8, but let's see how we rank Furious 7. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Furious 7? Jacob. I'm going to just say this out front. Believe it or not, because of 6, I think I'm going to be able to recommend this one. I don't know how this one would feel if the levity and over-the-topness of 6 didn't work so well with me because they take away that levity here. I, I get it. They don't want it because of what happened with Paul Walker. It's a more serious film, but it it also makes all the ridiculousness a little harder to buy. You know, the drama doesn't work. So much silliness going on and so many whys. But what works 
are the action pieces, the car chase in the mountains, Abu Dhabi driving the car through the buildings, the climax. It's a little too long, a little too much going on, but I like when the rock shows up that there is fun to be had there. And look, if I'm going to watch these films at this point, I'm going to want to see some good action. I, I never cared about them as street racing films. When they became action films, that's when I started recommending them. So this one, yeah, the action works for me. There, there are some great action pieces here. It's too bad the climax can't live up to what we saw earlier. It goes on a bit long, but for the most part, that stuff works, so I could recommend it. This is a, another, you know, mild recommend in this series for me. Stuart. I'm hanging right on the edge there with that bus. You know, it's just tottering right there. And typically, I red arrow things when I feel ambivalent because that's I'm not loving it. But they answered my prayer. I mean, when I think about how things were last week, I'm going to grade on a curve and go mild green arrow because they did pull away from that all-out absurdity that I just found so offensive last time. Jacob, you're citing that as a problem, a reason not to be as excited about this one. I think that they focus on the old characters, and it's a bit sentimental and nostalgic, but that was the right tone, particularly given that it's Paul Walker's last film. The new characters? Eh, not so great. You know, Jason Statham is a real drag on this movie. Kurt Russell isn't used to the best of his abilities, although he's pretty fun. The Rock is sidelined for much of the movie. Highlight of the film. But I, I still feel like, you know, if this is the Crossroads film, if this is the film to get nostalgic and reflect on where they've been as they ponder the future, and God knows there's enough lines of dialogue about that, I feel like the tone is right, the action set pieces are right, and the characters are right. It's a good send-off for Paul Walker. It's a decent action movie. It's got its moments. It's too long. And no, I never want to watch it again. But yeah, I can give this one a pass. Mild recommend. And I'm also going to give this a recommend. Probably, it sounds like from your guys' summations, I'm the strongest recommend of the three, where it's just, it's not a high, high, high recommend, but it's a, it's a recommend, not a weak one. It's just run-of-the-mill recommend. The only reason it's not a high recommend is because the plot is effing stupid. It is ridiculously stupid. I've heard that many times in action films, they come together and say, okay, we want these action scenes together. We want to have a car jump between buildings. We want to drop cars out of airplanes. Now, screenwriter, go make it happen. And in many cases, such as Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which we're discussing on our donation feed right now, where that exact thing happened, good screenwriters can give us a plot where it's all makes sense. Here... You get Tej giving us our mission before the beginning of the video game and Dom looking constipated and vaguely annoyed during dramatic scenes with Letty. But the drama that did work is saying goodbye to Paul Walker. And I didn't have to wipe my eyes from tears, but I did feel a little verklempt. I welled up and felt very sad for this actor and for this character and for the people still alive who have to continue a franchise and continue this movie in such a shadow. I think they handled that the right way. As for the movie itself, yeah, the plot's dumb, but the characters are still fun. This may be my favorite Roman movie. I like that he's called the clown and he plays the clown. He and Tej run a risk of falling into that Leo and Santos type of banter where it's just the two of them making jokes while other stuff go on, but... It's still a lot of fun for me. And 
this has the most spectacular stunts of the franchise. Honestly, some of them do strain credibility, but that jumping from building to building, the dropping cars from airplanes is amazing stuff. But there wasn't enough car racing or really car action in this. Cars jump buildings, cars jumped out of planes, but this wasn't a driving movie. Outside of the one brief race with Letty and the road chase there in the mountains, at the end in LA, the focus was more on wrench fights and guns. Marjorie pointed out that I left this movie, I wasn't even driving crazy. This didn't feel like a Fast and Furious film. I didn't feel fast, both in terms of running time and in terms of the cars in it. So perhaps it's apt that they named this one Furious 7. James Wan may not be a Justin Lin. I don't see that James Wan brought a whole lot to this film other than trying to carry on Justin Lin's tradition and not doing quite as well with filming some of the action stuff. James Wan is now going back to do Conjuring 2, so who knows what'll happen with Fast 8. I wouldn't be sad if it's not James Wan again, but yeah, this is a recommend. And I mean, let's rank the series. For me, this is honestly the second best film. Fast 5 is number one. Furious 7, clearly number two. Number three, kind of torn between Tokyo Drift and the original. I think I'm going to go with the original. It had better races. And then Tokyo Drift will be in fourth place. Six was the lowest of the recommends. That was my bar. If this one was worse than six, it would be a not recommend. And then my not recommends in order. Four is the better of the not recommends. And two is an ultimate dung heap that nobody should ever watch other than just for some booty shots and Suki. Yeah, I don't think this is going to win Best Picture this year. It's not even the best Fast and Furious film for me. It is second, though. For me, six is the number one. Then comes seven, just because the action pieces are so great in this one, especially the first two. And then I'm just going reverse order. Five, four. Uh, with one and three, they're both not recommend. I think I go with one a little bit more than three. Just they're close, but I think I'll go with one. I really like the stunt work at the end of that one. Three just never had a, a real great action piece to me. It, it had some cool drifting, but never really anything I was really excited about. So that's why I'll put one above three. And then, yeah, two. Get out of here. <laughs> they may all matter, but, you know, what's funny is if I like Roman, the films are at the top. If I don't, they're at the bottom. And two, ooh. That, that's a stinker. Uh, for me, this franchise has been mostly bad sandwiches. You know, uh, Mia and Brian talked about how they met over a bad sandwich in this movie. And yeah, I, I feel like most of this series was a not recommend for me. The three that I liked were all pretty mild, were five, three, and then seven. Those are the three that I feel like they get the stunts right. They have appealing characters. There's more positive than negative. None of them are particularly great, but I could endorse those. The rest of them, uh, it's a quick drop off. Four was meh. One was pretty stupid. And then two and then six were just awful, awful experiences. You're putting two above six? Oh, yeah. That six is the worst. There's nothing worse than that sixth one. I just, I hated it so much. Didn't you hear what he said last week? I think you need to revisit two and really make that decision for sure. <laughs> no, I don't. I, kn I know what I know. I'm surprised I ended up recommending the majority of these films, four through seven. I'm never going to watch any of these again, though, I don't think. That's the thing. Yeah, they're fine. 
but they're not for me. And for me, I walked out seeing that montage of young Brian. And if you can believe it, for a brief glimpse in my brain, I went, oh, after seeing that montage, I should go watch all these films again. Wait, I just did that. That's why I said we had to do a (laughs) retrospective series. I guess I can wait a year or so. But I walked out of seven wanting to start over and do it again with one. So I guess that's why I'm the fan. Yeah, I would be fine never watching another one, but... There's going to be many more in your future. I, I'm wondering if they're not going to do spinoffs. You know, that seems to be thing now, is maybe The Rock will get his own spinoff series. They'll restart with a new racer in L.A. culture who gets mentored by Dom and, and call that The Fast and Furious, but then they can send The Rock off to do his spy adventures in a whole different subset. I think that's how their Marvel is doing it, and I could see Universal doing that with the Fast franchise. You could have your fast films, and then you have your furious films, depending on the plot. I agree. And it might help. It might help the schism that we're all experiencing at this point about how ludicrous it is that street thugs are international spies. I'm not sure what they're going to do. I hope they don't go universe building. Not every movie series needs to be a universe with prequels, spinoffs, and everything else. Sometimes you can just have a linear series. But... At this point, I honestly think they're just going to sit back, let this money come in, and then probably announce they're going to do another one. They're going to take their time, and it's all because of Paul Walker. I mean, they were fast-tracking this because this was Universal's only profitable franchise. But at this point, they're just going to have to allow two years to go by. I think they'll do, you know... If they're going to do this kind of spin-off thing, and it might not be a bad idea now that you've mentioned it to do spin-offs versus straight sequels, but bring somebody else to the starring role instead of Vin Diesel. Let The Rock have it. Yeah, remake the first one with a new 20-something, right? Yeah, something along those lines, perhaps. But I think it'll be two years we'll be dealing with Furious 8, and then Universal will make their plans known for what's going on after that. I think what they really want to do is just a two-part movie. They don't want to get too ambitious, but they want, you know, a Harry Potter 7 Part 1 and 7 Part 2. They want a Hunger Games Book 3, 1 and 2. So I wouldn't be surprised if the next time we're actually discussing Fast and Furious isn't in 2017 for part eight, but we wait for 2018 for the end of the duology with part nine. That would be where I'd place my money if I was Leo and Santos on that roulette wheel. But it's not like we have a lack of things to talk about until they make the next Fast and Furious film. Not even a lack of cars to talk about. No, we still got five more weeks of car movies. Next week, we're going to be reviewing Steven Spielberg's first directorial feature ever, a road movie from the 70s called Duel. Yeah, no, I'm a fan of it. It really is the prequel to Jaws. If you like Jaws, it's pretty much uh, Land Shark. And then after that, for four weeks, we go beyond Thunderdome with Mad Max. So excited. Here are car chases I will be excited about and have watched many times. Can't wait. I can honestly say this. The preview for Fury Road played before this Furious 7, that preview is better than the movie I watched. That trailer is getting a lot of praise. Like, yeah, I agree. That trailer has me excited. It's been 30 years, and man, I feel like how excited I was before uh, I actually saw The Phantom Menace while waiting in line to see it. I think the trailer looks good. The trailer that got applause, though, when I was watching Fast 7 was Poltergeist. Really? Yeah, my crowd applauded that. 
They screamed at one moment. They were into the clown. They that one, and then when people realized it was Poltergeist, I think they should have realized with the TV, but they didn't. Some of them seemed to notice until the title came up. And we're going to be discussing that through our donation series. We did the first three way back in 2011. We're releasing those from the vault and reviewing the remake this spring. And another Universal franchise, you say they only have one profitable one, but that may change very soon. Jurassic World will be coming out in June. That's the buildup of our Gold Level Donation series. We will be covering the four Jurassic movies, plus the two Michael Crichton Amusement Park killer movies that he made prior to that, Westworld and Future World. And for the Silver Level Donation, just $10 or more, we're doing all four Raiders of the Lost Ark films, because... You can never have enough Spielberg, even if one of them is Crystal Skull, which I vowed to never revisit again. But starting next week, we will uh, start with Raiders, probably the best of the bunch. And then ending with Goonies, a spiritual indie film. It's got one of the stars and all of the trips. Yeah, it it was uh, an attempt to rethink Indiana Jones for a younger set. And it will be the very last podcast we release at the end of June. So you can find out all the details about the donation series by clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. But as always, these podcasts are only available for a limited time until the end of July. And your money helps keep us doing this show and going to see movies in theaters and paying for the tickets. And we're seeing a lot of movies in theaters. I was looking at how much weekend of release editing we have to do this year Furious 7, Avengers in just a few weeks, Poltergeist, Jurassic World, Insidious Chapter 3, Terminator Genesis, Ant-Man, Fantastic Four, Mission Impossible, Mad Max. Yeah, and maybe Human Centipede 3 will come out somewhere in there. Don't forget Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Yeah, I'm just talking this summer. (laughs) Oh, that's all by this summer? Yeah, that's in the next three months. Oh, yeah. my. I got to... You might as well just get your uh, chair. I got to get a loan. Yeah. <laughs> Between now and August 11th, we're doing 10 theatrical releases if Human Centipede 3 comes out. Nine are guaranteed. So we definitely could use your support. All your money helps make this show the best it can be. And so we will be back next week with Duel, because that's how we roll. Father, thank you for the gathering of friends. Father, we give thanks for all the choices we've made because that's what makes us who we are. Let us forever cherish the loved ones we've lost along the way. And most of all, thank you for fast cars. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. You tell your boss exactly who did this. Tell him there's more coming. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another Fast and Furious movie review. You gotta get out of here. I ain't running anymore. Also at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find more movie reviews, including Pitch Black, Rambo, RoboCop, The Avengers, and hundreds more. You say what? This just went from Mission Impossible to Mission and Freaking Sanity. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. You're in. There's always room for family. 
You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. a whole lot of vaginal activity to me. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. See exclusive videos and interviews on the Now Playing Podcast YouTube channel. You can find the link on our homepage. I'll see you soon, Toretto. Your pockets ain't nervous. Ours are empty. We hungry. Now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. It's donations from listeners like you that keep Now Playing on the air. You got the best crew in the world standing right in front of you. Give them a reason to stay. You can give money by clicking the support link at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. You don't realize how much you appreciate something until somebody takes it away. Everybody take a real good look. This is what you call mutual respect. All right, let's clear out. Anybody down for something? Now Playing's Fast and Furious series is edited by Heath, Casper, and Arnie. Let's put all this mess back together. That's going to take a while. Then you better get started. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Why me? Because you got the biggest mouth. That's for damn sure. Now Playing is not affiliated with Universal Pictures or the makers or distributors of these films. The film discussed in this podcast is the intellectual property of its copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. You see, I got a problem with authority. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just because you know how I ride doesn't mean you know me. Show me how you drive, I'll show you who you are. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Money will come and go. We know that. The most important thing in life will always be the people in this room. Right here. Right now. Salute me, familia. Directed by James Wan. I almost said Justin Lin. (laughs) Dominic Toretto, not Dominic Turturro, as I had been calling him last film. Goddamn IT guys. Yes. I'm sure that hit home, Arnie. Are you as tough (laughs) as Jason Statham? Can you take the rock? Do you want to find out? Yes. (laughs) WrestleMania 32. (laughs) <laughs> like when he finds out Brian O'Connor got Letty killed in Paul it, Paul 4 <laughs> like when he find out I keep wanting to say James Wan oh it is James Wan <laughs> <laughs> why is Ramsey got makeup applied to her with a bag on her head well her crying. mascara ran well, that's my point. Like, why did she put on mascara to be taken hostage? I, she didn't whatever. know she was going to be taken hostage when she got up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's the 
Yan, yeah, not Yandu. Um, Jakandu or Jakandu decides Day. to Yakandu. Yeah, yeah, there's an e at the end. Yeah, Yakanda. I wish I had the black like glasses because I was trying to like look around to see if people were wiping tears or what this <laughs> teenage audience was doing. I didn't see any tears. I didn't hear any whimpering. You don't I, want I don't black like glasses around teenage boys. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> look like a Jackson or, well, Pollock painting. Yeah. <laughs> Night vision glasses. That's it. <laughs> the prequel to Jaws. If you like Jaws, it's pretty much uh, Land Shark. <laughs> You say that, and all I think of is that Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah, that's what I'm referring to. 